Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. We're in a series titled, "More Is There More to Life? It's a question that we all come to ask at some point in our lives. And if you've asked this question, it means that you have come to a place where you're looking for purpose. You're looking for something that makes life worthwhile. You're pursuing meaning, something that you can't quite see right now, but you want to grasp. And so today I want to talk to you about the dark side of envy. Now, not because envy has a bright side, but like the moon, If you know, the rotation of the moon matches the rotation of the earth. So there's a side to the moon that we never get to see. We know it's there, but we never get to see. And there's a side of envy that is hidden from us that sometimes we don't really realize it's there. And so because we all deal with envy, many times we don't notice when envy has become an actual motivator for our our Uh, our achievement and and our success and the things that we are striving for. So I want to focus on that today. It happens really uh, when we lack vision. It happens when we don't have clarity about our calling or we're going through a season where we can't quite see what's going on. And so this is what we do. We begin to look aside uh, to to other people. We begin to look besides ourselves for, for inspiration. And then we begin to notice things that we want in other people. And you might say, wow, I like, I like what that guy has. And I like what she's got. And I want to I get what she's got because uh, 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 what, what does she got that I don't got? And I want to got that. And so, <laughs> and so we, want, we want, and at first it's, it's an innocent thing, right? We, it's, it's inspirational. We look for something that can inspire us to pursue, but that's when envy sneaks in. It's when we begin to look for things that we desire in other people, and then we begin to compare. And then what happens is we compare our sufferings, we compare our past, we compare our lives, we compare the, 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 the course of our lives, and something in us says, well, it's not fair. Why should they have that and not me? And at first, like I said, it seems like an innocent observation. Someone else's achievement, someone else's success, we see it all over the internet. It's plastered on, on our Instagram profiles and our, and our social media posts. But because of envy, there's a desire to be better that, than that person. Or worse, because of envy, it can, there's, a, there's a wish that can be birthed. Where you not only want to be better than that person, but you, might, you, you begin to desire for that person to lose what they have achieved. Because their success doesn't seem fair to you. And as our world continues the effort to become more and more secular, more and more apart from God. Envy has become an acceptable uh, uh, motivation, an acceptable form of motivation with a primary caveat that as long as you don't do harm to someone else, 
and they can be a good thing. So you can find headlines on major publications, headlines like this one that I read this week. It's okay to be envious. It can even be a good thing. Or this one, envy is fuel you're not using. Or this other one, the upside of career envy. And these publications uh, are not uh, obscure publications. These are headlines from uh, publications like Vox or Forbes or even the Harvest Business Review, which in the Harvest Business Review uh, post, uh, this is a, a quote from that post. Remind yourself that while you can't control envy, you most certainly can choose whether you feel shameful about it or not. And when you patiently allow yourself to feel envy about a situation and prevent shame from prolonging its negative impact, the sting will slowly diminish. So the counsel to people is, hey, embrace envy, but shun shame. And then you'll be all right. And it's been a long-standing assumption by many thinkers in our culture that the lead cause of the problems we, say, we face is not the behavior, but it is the shame that that's many times follow it. And a lot of effort has been placed on completely removing shame. Completely removing shame from things that are typically taboo. And while it's true, it is true that shame can be Harmful. It's true that shame can, can be a problem, especially when it deals with somebody's past. There is a part of shame that's useful as a preventative emotion to keep us from doing terrible things. That's why the Apostle Paul, he brings up shame in one of his letters to awaken the people back to their senses when they're slipping away from the truth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 30. 3 and 34 he says this do not be misled bad company corrupts good character now some of you parents you need this passage memorized on a sticky note so that your kids can know it you need it on your fridge you need to put it on their mirror you need it in their backpack maybe print a t-shirt so they can wear it to school <laughs> This is important. He's teaching the church. He's saying, hey, bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you walk and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. And then he says, I say this to your shame. It may be odd for us to see the Apostle Paul using shame as a tool. But the truth is that shame... In, 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 in a specific situation, is meant to prevent us from doing something that we shouldn't. And I think it is really important that we do not get accustomed to living with envy in our hearts. It's really important for us to, to repel envy because envy affects our judgment. And it causes us to see things that are not good as good. And one of those effects, it's called schadenfreude. I'm working on my German. Arrivederci. <laughs> schadenfreude is a German term. Some of you got the reference. Schadenfreude is a German term. Schadend, or schaden, 
I feel like I need to sound like the, the guy from Frozen that, that, that sold the carrot for a very expensive price. Schaden. Schaden means harm. And Freude means joy. Schadenfreude is that feeling of joy that you get when somebody you envy suffers harm. We get this misguided sense of justice. Think of a player from a rival team who gets injured so badly that he can't play for several games. And deep inside you think, yes, that's awesome. My team has a better chance now. All of you New York Yankees fans, just think about any time the Red Sox lose, okay? Any time. You get that feeling of, oh, yes, satisfaction, right? Or maybe somebody you dislike in the office, somebody that, you know, you kind of like have to endure. Something happens to them. Something bad happens to them. They get a ticket. Or they walk into the office saying that something to happen to their car, or, and, and you say, oh, I'm so sorry, but you're not really sorry, you know? Deep inside, you're like, yes, you got what you deserve. <laughs> Schadenfreude. You want to say it, don't you? You want to okay, let's all say it. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Yeah, you can't say German soft, softly, you know? How do you say German in, in I love you in German? Ich liebe dich. Is that what it is? Yeah. Hey, I have a German background. Uh, uh, so, yeah. German is strong. Schadenfreude. See, these are self-evident evident presence of envy. Where you can actually pinpoint. You can actually look at it. And, and you say that this is, yeah, yeah, it's in there. I can see it. But what about the more obscure and subtle effects of envy? Let's go to Ecclesiastes, our main passage for today. As you know, this series is a study of Ecclesiastes, and we're drawing from Ecclesiastes wisdom and, and, and lessons that we can apply to our lives. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Solomon paints a picture, and he's talking about the reality of the world in which he lived in. And he says, again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who are already dead, who, who already died, are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who was not, who's never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And then he says, and I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, he says, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. It's a glim perspective. And what we perceive in this text is that in the era this text was written, there was a tremendous, there was tremendous suffering and injustice. There was a presence of injustice in society. People descended to such animosity, to such indifference, to such disregard for their fellow humans, that they used their power to oppress people. 
And Solomon says, it was so bad that the dead are better off. And better than the dead are the ones who, babies who are still unborn. Because they haven't experienced all the evil. They didn't get to have to endure everything that happened and is happening in the world. He gives a dire and a decadent description of humanity. And at the center of it, as the cause, he says, it's envy. Envy has grasped the hearts. In other words, in this kind of environment, when people are oppressed, suffering, and trying to get out of their situation, the chief motivation is envy. Now, have you experienced envy in your life? Have you experienced this kind of envy in your life? Have people tried to take advantage of you at some point or another for their own gain? Have you been so motivated yourself, maybe, toward personal gain that you got blinded? You couldn't realize that at one point your own ambition led you to maybe take advantage of people or maybe, maybe even use people or mistreat people. And maybe at the time you felt it was okay because that's how the world works. You either get or you got God and you don't want to get God, so... That's how the world works. Or maybe you justified in your mind because you felt like you too were taken advantage of at some point. And so you just taught him a lesson of how life actually is. However, you justified it in your mind. Could it be that at that point in time, it was actually envy that was motivating you? See, envy is not just about wanting what somebody else has. It's not just about schadenfreude. Envy is about seeing what someone else has and determining your heart that you're going to get that for yourself no matter the cost, no matter what bridges you burn, no matter how many relationships you end, no matter how many people you hurt, you're going to get it. And friends, many businesses have started out of envy, uh, that began and started out of envy. Many relationships have been pursued out of envy. And I dare to say that even many churches have been started out of envy. Because when you're motivated by what you covet, when, you, when you're motivated by what you want from someone else's life and you develop that ugly sense of competition, you have this feeling that you got to be better than them, that you got to get ahead, that you got to look better, you got you to move further, you, you get territorial, you got to be prettier, you got to be hotter, you got to be more muscular, you got to be more fly, you got to get more followers, be more relevant. And whatever area the other person is better at, there's that feeling inside that says that's because it's unfair. That's because they're either dishonest or they're fake or they have advantage, advantages that I don't. Have you ever met people like this? I know you're quiet because you have. <laughs> I know you, some of you, you can see their faces in your mind right now. And some of you, you have to have Thanksgiving with these people. Now, 
Do you think that you could ever be like that? Is there a chance? Of course, right? Because like we said, envy, it messes with your judgment. It makes you see things that are not good as good. So what is the antidote? How do we fix this? First, let's identify the problem. This is what James writes in his letter, James chapter 1, verses 15 through, uh, 13 through 15. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Now look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? He was responding to the Pharisees about a question of why his disciples didn't wash their hands before they eat. Because that was considered uh, impure and that it would, it would defile a person. So Jesus is saying, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these are the things, these are the things that defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. In other words, Jesus is saying, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And a heart possessed by envy thinks of itself as righteous. That's why so many people who are possessed by envy, they don't say, I am envious. They don't say, I'm jealous. They say, it's not fair. It's not fair. And you parents, you know this line so, so well. If you have small children, you know this line very, very well. I know this line very well. This is our personal and private response. This is how we respond to our kids 90% of the time when they say it's not fair. Because right? sometimes it's really not fair. And you can see it, it's not fair. But 90% of the time... This is what we tell them. When they come to us and say, it's not fair, she did this and she did that and this and that and the other, the boy is too little to say it's not fair. He doesn't know how to say anything. <laughs> but it's coming. I know it's coming. So the girls are like, this happened to me and that happened and this one. It's not fair. Why did she get it? I don't get it. Oh, yeah, that's not fair, Dad. It's not, Dad, it's not fair. I know what's fair and this is not it. Fair is over here and the situation is over here. This is not fair. And our reply is often this one. Is it not fair or are you envious? Is this not fair or are you jealous? And you can see the little brains go into a fritz. Because for a child, that's often the same thing. Those two are connected. For a child, the reason why they feel jealousy or envy, it's like, it's like, you know when you're driving a car and you never change the oil, never do anything, and then check engine comes, light, comes on? How many of you have a check engine on right now? i got to pray for you. <laughs> for a child, that, that's, that's what it is. If I'm feeling envy and jealousy, something must be not fair. And so... 
what we try to do as parents is to separate those two things and actually talk about the problem because if they are convinced that it's really not fair, then envy is justified. You get it? Like jealousy is justified because envy is just a result of the unfairness. And that's what envy does. It, it flips our perspective upside down so that everything else is the problem and not envy itself. That's how it hides. That's the dark side of envy. So well, the mentality becomes, I don't care that my sister was blessed because it's unfair. I don't care that she's happy. It's not fair. I don't care that she was rewarded for her work. It's not fair. I don't care that they got a promotion. I don't care. I don't care what happened. It's not fair. And I have the right to take it. I have the right to destroy it because my sense of fairness and, and justice tells me that I have to level things according to what I see is fair. And that's a product of envy that happens with young siblings I'm just I'm not ranting okay I'm sharing with you <laughs> observations that I've seen not only in my life Ecclesiastes tells us that this mindset was happening to everyone everyone People oppressing people, fellow humans defrauding fellow humans, taking advantage of others in the name of trying to get ahead. But he identifies that, 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 that the source, it's envy. And friends, this is a pit that we all fall into. We fall into individually and we fall into as a society. Remember what Jesus said, it's what's in the heart that defiles a person. And so the text in Ecclesiastes addresses the issue in a very poetic, in a very practical way. It paints a picture for us. And so let's go uh, continue on chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. This is what the writer writes. He says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. Then he says two are better than one. Because they have a re good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and no one is there to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But now, but how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is a very helpful passage for all of us in our jobs, in our careers. And in our personal lives. Because envy will drive you to want to prove to others that you're worth it. Envy will try to drive you to prove to others that you have what it takes. To prove to others that you too can accomplish. That you too can make it. And Solomon says, hey, hey, hey. I saw a man like that. And he was all alone. He was rich. But not connected. He was rich, but he was not content. And he couldn't even enjoy his wealth because he was too busy maintaining it. 
And worse yet, he had no kids, he had no family, he had no one around him, and he ended up accomplished, quote-unquote, but with no relationships. And the response to such a predicament is this. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. It's better to have a partner. It's better to make a friend. It's better to help, to link arms, to join hands. Because in time of plenty, you can help one another, multiply. And in times of dearth, of difficulty, you can help each other weather the storm. And so I have a simple illustration I want to show you guys of this dynamic and this dichotomy. I want to call my brother Dan up here. Can you help me, Dan? And this illustration. Dan turned 40 last week. Never looked younger. Never looked more fly. And his shoes shine. Look at, look at those logos like right there. Can you come on this side? So... Listen, because if we had a building, I wouldn't have the actual bricks here, but we're on a budget. So <laughs> I need you to imagine that behind Dan, there's a pile of bricks. Picture in your mind, okay? For those of you on the podcast, just imagine Dan is standing on stage next to me, and there's a pile of bricks behind him, and I have a pile of bricks behind me, and we're going to build a wall, all right? And the wall represents whatever it is that you're called to do in your life, all right? The wall could be your career, could be your marriage, could be your relationship. The wall is, is what you're building with your life. So I got my allotted bricks right here. He's got his allotted bricks right there. And we're going to start building a wall. Can we build it? We're going to mime now. Let's build a wall. I'm building my wall. You're building your wall. All right? There's your wall right there. So here we are. We're building. We're laying bricks. He knows how to do it because he's an actual builder. I'm just pretending. <laughs> You know, I'm just pretending. I'm laying bricks. I'm laying bricks. This is what envy does. Oh, look at that wall. I'm looking at his wall. And now I want my wall to be better than his wall. But I don't want him to know. So I'm going to come over here. I'm going to say, hey, that wall is not so good. That wall is not so great. And I'm going to get some bricks for myself. I'm stealing bricks right now, okay? Putting some bricks in my pockets. Well, that's why you have those pockets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Envy makes me look at him as a competitor. Envy makes me look at his project as a threat to me. Envy says, I got to do better than him. My bricks have to be better than his bricks. My cement has to be stronger. And so I'm going to talk him down. I'm going to build myself up. I'm going to try to take advantage of him, take his resources to build my own wall. This is what Solomon is saying. That's what's happening. People oppressing people. People taking advantage of people. And that's what envy does. It puts you at odds. Because you want what the other person has. You want to be better than them. You're not looking at the vision, at the project. You're looking at the other person and saying, mm, I'm going to compare. And I'm going to make sure that I'm getting ahead. That I'm moving farther and further. And I'm going to try to take some of the resources. And what the scripture is telling us is, let go of envy. Because if you succeed... In building it, you're going to be all alone, maintaining and protecting your wall from everybody else who might want to try to come and steal. Because that's what you're doing to them. Instead, a better approach is to learn to collaborate. To not move by envy, but move according to the love of God. Instead, live like you, you don't have to live like you have something to prove. Because you've already been approved by God. If we've ever been approved by the Lord. Thank you, buddy. Can you give it up for Dan? 
Instead of having like you have something to prove, embrace the fact that you've already been approved by God. And so the person next to you can be a collaborator. They can be your teacher. They can be your partner. Philippians 3 verse 13, 15 says this. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who think, uh, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. See, my call, your call is to be like Christ. That's my number one calling in life, is to be like Christ. It's not to prove to this guy that I can build a wall better than his, whatever the wall may mean to you. And if I pursue my call, that releases me. Instead of competing with him, I can learn from him. I can love him. I can collaborate with him. And while envy makes you prideful and self-righteous, God's love makes you humble, makes you teachable. I want to challenge you today to reject the seed of envy that is, has permeated our culture, has permeated businesses, has permeated our, our, our corporate America. Getting ahead, get ahead at any cost culture. Be driven, yes, Excel, yes. Be the best that you can be in your field. But not out of envy. Not to put somebody out. Do that so that you can be like Christ. Be an example in love and conduct. That means that instead of building walls of separation, we're building relationships. Instead of building arguments to tear people down so you can get ahead, we build teams. Instead of being suspicious of others, you can encourage them. And when they have a win, when they succeed, you can remember the two are better than one. So instead of thinking that it's unfair, instead of thinking, oh man, I'm falling behind and letting your security and envy take root. I should have been there. It's just not fair. You get to celebrate them because you're released from that. And you get to say, hey, my friend, your wall is so nice. Can you teach me how you're doing that? Can I buy you lunch so you could tell me how you succeeded? Can I take you out so you, I can learn from you? So we can collaborate? Because I have some challenges. I can't see things the way you see. The way to get rid of that feeling is to understand that you have a higher call. And to, and to fix your eyes on the call that God has for you. So let me encourage you today to let go of envy. Let go of jealousy because envy blinds your vision. It blinds your vision so you can't see the new that God wants to do in your life. Because it will keep you preoccupied with matching and outdoing everybody else. Envy is not always obvious. It has a dark side, but it is always blinding. And so if you let go of envy and you embrace God's love, you will be the solution to the oppression and the injustice that we see in our circles. In your own circle, there might be oppression. In your own circle, there might be injustice. And you can scream at government. You can scream at people. And they will never hear you. 
Or you can take it upon yourself and say, you know what? I'm going to be the light of God in my circle. I'm going to be the light of God in my life. I'm going to be the light of God in my community. And I'm going to eliminate envy from my circle, in, your, in my own relationships. And that's, my, my friends, that's how we change the world. When we change our world is when we change the world. So let me encourage you today. There is more to life. Let's live for God. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.